That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, here we are recording another episode of Same Old Song. This is for the third Sunday after Pentecost, another time in our world when things are basically normal, the status quo is maintained. Church continues as it always has, no problems, right? Yeah, you know, uh, it has never been more normal outside. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, gosh, what are we going to do? It's, uh, but preach the gospel. I think that's, what we, that's the only thing we've been given authority to do, and I uh, want to encourage all of our listeners to double down on that. Um, I do... Uh, do think it's important that we do say, though, when we talk about preaching the gospel, that we're, we're not copying out of, of what's going on at all, and that our upcoming readings um, uh, do speak, I think, slightly into the situations, uh, or profoundly into the situations. Um, but I do want to say that, um, yeah, so, but preach and double down on the gospel, for that's the power of God unto salvation, and that's the mandate we've been given. Yep, absolutely. And we are going to see some things in our readings today that have to do with divisions among people, divisions in families, divisions mm-hmm. in society, as well as how uh, believers act in light of uh, state oppression, something that is in in the in the view of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 10. But we'll get to that. We'll get to it. Um but let's just uh, let's jump in here. We begin with Genesis 21. We're going to talk about Hagar, Sammy Hagar, Ishmael, and I made that joke last week. I'm going to keep making it. I don't care. Uh, and then we're going to even go though it, on even to... though it hits flat every time. No, I'm just yep, kidding. It, it's terrible each time. Uh, but I mean, I can't help it. And then we go on to Romans six, uh, where we attack the straw man or straw woman Mm. of uh, antinomianism, and then on to Jesus' words in Matthew 10 about sparrows and swords and why... And division. Why all teenagers should hate their parents. That's right. Right? Okay. (laughs) So, Genesis 21, uh, this is one of those passages where if you are going to preach it, preachers, especially in this context of... uh, we're all live streaming services, or maybe you're not. Maybe you're of the few preachers that are now back in some sort of limited in-person gathering. Uh, um, but even if you're there, your sermons are probably a little bit shorter. I don't know. I've gone, I've, I've shortened my sermons. They're now like about 12 minutes long as opposed mm. to the, the 18 to 20 that I used to do. Uh-huh. But anyways, this is a lot to tackle. Jake, you've gone down from like 45 minutes to about 40 minutes. That's is that right? right. That's right. I'm still, you know, trying to keep up with our Reformed Baptist friends. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hovering around a good 50. No, I'm just oh, good, good, good. <laughs> the people uh, love it. So yep, no, I'm just, just watch those live viewers just decrease. Yeah. That, just <laughs> dipping, dipping. About minute 32, they really fall away. But yeah, Genesis 21, Isaac has been born. You have, what I, my point was, this is a lot to tackle, 
But it's an amazing passage. There's a lot there. So basically yeah. what the deal is here, Abraham was promised a kid. The kid didn't come. Sarah, his wife, said, why don't you shack up with my maid? This is where you get the whole handmaid's tale situation going on. And Abraham has this kid, Ishmael, also stars in a great novel by Herman Melville many mm. years after this. But so Ishmael is born, and, and he, then Isaac comes along, and that, and then he's, and this is the child is talking about in verse eight. So yeah, then we that's begin right. this reading. And basically, what happens is, is uh, I guess you know, to to wean a child was a big party in those days, and. Um, and, uh, you know, um, Sarah's probably been watching uh, Ishmael run all over the place like little kids do. He would have probably been about eight years old when this uh, this scene happens. And, you know, and, you know, not all eight-year-olds are lovable. Some of them are really it's irritating. And, uh, you know, and um, Sarah finally has enough. And she's like, get him out of here. And, yeah. uh, and Abraham's like, you know, God's going to have my back on this one. And, you know, he's going to understand. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed. Because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it's through Isaac that the offspring shall be named for you. And I think one of the things that's profoundly happening here is what... I Because this must have just caught Abraham off guard. But I think that there tends to be kind of a way in which throughout our whole life, and this is going to build up into the gospel by which we kind of compromise the promise, by which we make God like, you know, the top priority as opposed to the only thing. And I think what's going on here is, is that God is assuring the fact that this promise is going to happen. This promise will not be compromised by any sort of human mess up, by any sort of like, well, maybe it can be both and. No, the promise is to come through Sarah to Isaac. And so mm -hmm. this is, on one level, what you see happening in this scene is the law being preached to its highest pitch. Mm. Yeah, and I think the other thing you see is incredible family dysfunction, which <laughs> uh, can really, I think, preach to your congregations. I yeah. mean, people can relate to this. Yeah, I remember one time I was somebody talked to me and they were like, well, you know, the Bible endorses polygamy. And I was like, well, there, there's polygamy that happens in the Bible, but it's never been a good thing. Like, it <laughs> it's never, never awesome. It never works out well for these guys. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, we've all seen The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. It doesn't work for them either. No. So the, um, the, the, the thing that I think you have to get here is, or at least you, you may want to talk about if you preach on this passage, is that Sarah uh, took matters into her own hands. Mm -hmm. Abraham went along with it. Mm -hmm. They both knew that God promised offspring, and yet they still made a plan B in having Abraham have this kid with Hagar, the, the servant girl. Then Abraham feels a real fatherly love for Ishmael. Then Sarah gets jealous of Hagar and Ishmael, and even though it was her idea, you ever know somebody that had an idea that then regrets that idea, but then takes it out on everybody else? I mean, people who have second and third marriages, they're like, this time it's going to work, and then they end up resenting the person they left their first spouse for, yeah. who actually turns out was not as bad as they thought they were. It's that kind of dynamic. And then at this weaning party, uh, you know, they cut the cake, they got the balloons, the clown is there making little wiener dog shapes out of the balloons and uh abraham uh, sarah sees uh 
Ishmael, it says playing with her son Isaac in verse 9. Other translations have laughing at Isaac or just laughing. It, the Hebrew is a little bit uh, multi-layered here, but people think it has something to do with not just playing. And if you if you just read playing, your congregation will be confused. Like, what's wrong with him playing with Isaac? It's probably more like mocking or making yeah. fun of or teasing. He's and a pincher. Yeah, Ishmael's right. a pincher. So. He likes to. He likes and to he's like, bite. What? When I didn't no do one's anything. So Sarah just says he's got to get out. But let's, if the translation is laughing, which is a valid translation, the irony here is that's what Sarah got into trouble for with those three angels or those three lords, those that, that divine appearance that came to Abraham the, re, the week before uh, in the lectionary readings. Um, Sarah laughed at God's promise then. Now Ishmael is laughing at God's promise Isaac. And Sarah is not gracious to Ishmael, even though God was gracious with her in her kind of derisive laughter. And so Ooh, you get here a picture great. when we when we talk about our patriarchs and matriarchs in the faith, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Miriam and Deborah and Sarah, we're not saying that these were some sort of superhero examples we need to follow. Abraham is terrible. Sarah also is terrible. Uh, and what's interesting, and this is, I think, a very Christian thing, meaning this is kind of the perspective we end up getting through Christ later on. Christ who always looks for the outcast. Christ who sees the Samaritan as the good example, not the Pharisee. Christ who praises the sinner, the prostitute, the tax collector, and not the rabbi. Uh, here we get in this passage, the chosen ones, Abraham and Sarah and by extension Isaac, are not that great. They all sort of look pretty terrible in this. The one who actually looks really devout and holy and the sympathetic character in this passage, it's, it's Hagar. Yeah. It's the lowest person in the story. And yeah. there's a very Christian impulse there. And you see God's mercy to her. You see God's mercy throughout the situation. Basically, Abraham and Sarah have made the situation as bad as it could possibly be. And yet God's promise is still with them. And God's promise is with the outcast, the overlooked, the woman weeping in the desert who's about to die from thirst with her child and she can't even bear to see it. So she has to wander away and then God still saves them. So there's a lot of mercy, a lot of dysfunction. A lot of mercy, yeah. and I think there's real avenues to preach on that. And stuff. I think that there's a power that last. God was with the boy, and he grew up, yeah. and he lived in the wilderness. I mean, that that that, uh, that key word he lived in. The, he grew up as a he grew up as an outsider, but God was with him. And then there's this beautiful scene in Genesis chapter 25, where Abraham finally dies, and both Ishmael and Isaac. Um, Ishmael and Isaac bury Abraham together and stand at the foot of his tomb. And I think that's powerfully fulfilled ultimately in an empty tomb where uh, the promise that had come from Isaac now brings people together um, and reconciles our massive screw-ups and uh, reconciles our taking things into our own hands and brings us to an empty tomb where um, the promise that was fulfilled through Isaac uh, to Abraham uh, now uh, given to the whole world brings uh, those, especially family members and such family dysfunction back together. And, uh, you know, um, may it be so. Um, it's already happened, but not yet. But uh, that's, I yeah. think that's the, really the promise that you want to get out of that. And that's backed up as St. Paul takes this in Galatians chapter 4 and kind of turns it into an allegory almost. 
You know what I mean? Um, Hagar mm -hmm. represents in Abraham's life, and this would have been so offensive to first century Jews hearing that allegory in, uh, in, in Galatians chapter 4. But Hagar represents taking things into our own, into our own hands. That's why she is compared with Sinai. You know what I mean? That's human history, taking things into our, our own hands and doing things, fulfilling it on our own. And where Sarah, I mean, like you said, she's terrible, terrible, but she represents promise and God working through all things to save us. Yeah, and if you wanted to be sure, or if you were wondering whether we're saved by grace or by the good things we bring, Sarah <laughs> makes it pretty clear that we're saved by grace. Abraham, yep. too. Like, they just, they're not, they're, they're not, um, uh, I don't know what the word is here. Like, um, they're just far from perfect. They're deeply flawed people, and God still works, works through them. Yeah. Well, this moves us to uh, Romans chapter 6, and I just uh, have an important question to you for you, Aaron. Um, and that mm. is, um, should we continue to sin in order that grace may abound? Yeah, man, because I'm free in Christ, I got a case of really cheap vodka, the kind that only comes in plastic bottles. Uh, no, there was definitely, uh, there was definitely a, um, a misunderstood article um, that recently came out in a publication that thinks that that's kind of our position. And uh, yeah. nothing, the Living Church, um, I love them, but they put out an article that articulated... Um, what we don't believe. And so Romans yeah. chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Yeah, that article made the point that there are some Christian organizations that seem to be too strong on grace and maybe weak on sanctification uh, and didn't name any names, and we're not going to name any names. But uh, um, whether Mockingbird was in the views of that article or not, certainly Mockingbird is an organization that talks about grace a lot. And I will say this, if you're an organization that talks about grace a lot, you will get accused of being an antinomian, which is what happened to St. Paul and every preacher of the gospel, because the grace of God in Jesus Christ is way too indiscriminate. It's just industrial strength. He lets people off the hook. He does not stone the adulteress. He lets her get away with it. He lets Matthew join his ministry while he's collecting taxes. He lets Peter back into the fold as a leader after he denies him three times. I mean, Jesus is just the worst with discipline ever. And there's a, there's a great joke. Um, and uh, it's, it's not theologically correct, but it illustrates the point. And uh, the joke is, is that uh, St. Michael, the archangel, comes to uh, Peter and uh, is like, listen, man, the census isn't adding up. You know what I mean? We got more people in here than, than are in, in your like books. And uh, Peter goes, well, that's because Jesus keeps lifting everybody up over the wall. <laughs> and uh, you know what I mean? This is, this is the God who loves sinners. Yep. As the old hymn says, and there's a wideness in God's mercy, but people get nervous that if we let it open too wide, too many people come in who don't deserve it and uh, all of that. And so Paul gets accused of that here in Romans 6, and he quotes his accusers. Again, he's writing to the church in Rome. He's never been there. He's never met them. He probably knows some of them, but he's never actually been there yet. And um, he's saying uh, that I'm hearing people accuse me of saying, that we should continue to sin in order that grace may abound, that we should do whatever we want, buy all the Grateful Dead records that we want, um, and just have as many parties as we want, go as many days without showering as we want, uh, do all these bad things. Um, and he's saying, look, if you're asking that question, you don't get the point. I'm not saying... Yeah. Um, 
that people, he, he's saying you're operating from a framework where you think people are free individuals who can do good or do bad. And because Jesus has forgiven us, you know, we can do whatever we want. And he says, no, 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 no. What Jesus has offered is, is much more radical than that. What Jesus is offering is death. Death and rebirth, <laughs> not just forgiving your sins so then Jake and Aaron can go on as now forgiven Jake and forgiven Aaron and now we can do more bad stuff. He's saying Jake and Aaron are dead. Every single listener to this podcast who is in Christ is dead and dead people don't sin. And there's no longer yeah. dominion of sin over dead people. And so, then there's a little bit of the, you know, already not yet. Like, we are still living this out in time. We are not fully sanctified, at least in, rea in like our daily moment by moment in time life. But the reality is we have died to sin. And that's what Paul's point is. We're not like just forgiven and now it's up to you. So, there's a, that, anyways, I, I, get, I get a little hot about this. Yeah, no, I can. Uh, it's good. And uh, and it's important to be passionate about this because what St. Paul, St. Paul is doing something here incredibly profound. Uh, and what he is doing is, is he is kind of in the in the Episcopal Church and in a lot of churches today, we tend to think of baptism as just kind of this kind of cute little moment. You know what I mean? What kind of dress should the boy wear or the girl wear? You know what I mean? And uh, what he is saying is like, no, this is actually serious, serious business. To be, to be baptized is actually to be buried with Jesus. Yep. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. And so, and what this does is that this completely shifts our, this shifts like the way we operate in the world as Christians. And the way the world operates is via action consequence. So this is, you know, if you do this, then this will happen. You know what I mean? Can't have too much grace because if you do that, then this will happen. And what St. Paul is saying is he's buckshotting that paradigm right out of the water by saying, no, 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 it's no longer about action consequence. It's now about death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. You can't go on sinning because you've already died with Jesus. You know what I mean? So why are you getting into the, falling back into the mud? Yep. You know what I mean? The gospel says it's done. Yep. And this is why the reformers, including the English reformers, um, would talk about not like necessarily the new covenant, but would refer to things as the New Testament versus the Old Testament. The New Testament being like taking what Paul is talking about later on, um, especially in Galatians, as a legal as a legal document, this was the testament was is that because he died, Jesus died, you got all of the uh, the benefits of that testament, mm -hmm. that testimony. And, uh, you know, and uh, and now we live in light of that testimony. And uh, so that is what it is. And this is what makes sense where Paul says, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Mm. We know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. The testament is you are not a slave, you are now a son because you belong, going back to Genesis, um, as Paul's allegory in Galatians chapter 4, you now are a son. Mm. You, you're a son. This is amazing. You've been freed. Yeah, son or daughter, beloved child of God. And I think, but the, the one thing too here is that's important, people that claim Christians who are too enamored of grace, that are giving away the store, um, 
and that were uh, sort of in, implicitly or explicitly, explicitly permitting people to sin or making light of sin or something like that. A lot of times I think those folks' definition of sin is far too narrow. They're worried that we're letting people get away with maybe using swear words or maybe, I don't know, sex, drugs, rock and roll kind of stuff. And I think sometimes that loses sight of the fact that the real sins that Jesus seems to care about and that the scriptures seem to care about are things like self-reliance, things like pride, things like envy, things like vanity, things like oppression of uh, poor people and creating unjust systems in the world, Uh, being um, impatient, being somebody who's angry, being somebody who's quick to dismiss others. Uh, Those are the kind. So I, again, I think when people are accusing people of antinomians, they often have such a narrow version of what sin Mm. is that again, I think they are, they are, failing to, they're looking at the speck in their brother's eye and missing the plank in their own to some extent. And it's just, it's it's good to check yourself before you start accusing other people of antinomianism. Uh, and, you know, in terms of preachers, how do you want to preach this? I think you want to recognize that the, the way of being a Christian is not being sin police in yourself or others, um, that that's missed the point. The point of Christianity is that you have died and sin no longer has dominion over you. Now, if you continue to experience sin in your life, that means the Holy Spirit is still working it out in you over time, and that will take some time, well, but you are dead to sin. And the fact that you recognize it is the sign that the Holy Spirit is Amen. working in your life, not the distance of God, but that he's actually really close to you. And uh, that's absolutely right. And, uh, and to be clear, and so I want to... You, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus also. And I want to say to everybody who might be listening to this, uh, Mockingbird definitely believes that people should be uh, conformed to the image of Christ. Like, this is what the gospel does. This is what the Holy Spirit does to us. But we stand firm against the idea that you can do that on your own strength, or that by doing so, you get any points with God. Again, Sarah had no points with God, and she was the one who received the promise through Isaac. Uh, and so that's, I think, the idea that we... that we are, That's yeah, right. So... And I think, and you know, and, and but to be accused of these things and, thing, and to... to I mean, we all deal with it, but in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 39, this is like really getting at the crux of the situation and the situation that we're all going in. I mean, I found myself this week um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a rector of, of an Episcopal church in Gramercy Park on a profound level, damned if I do, damned if I don't, on everything this last week. And, um, and I've realized that there is a lot of... Um, I mean, there are, there are a lot of like secrets and a lot of things being uncovered in my own life that I just was completely unaware of. And uh, Jesus begins to get at this stuff profoundly in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 39. Yeah, by the time he's writing this, Christians are starting to get persecuted. 
And so uh, Matthew is remembering these things that Jesus said and say, hey, this really, um, this matters now in this situation. Because you're getting attacked and persecuted and, and asked to recant uh, their faith in Christ. Or maybe they can keep their faith in Christ, but they also have to swear allegiance to Caesar. Um, that's what the Romans would have said. The Jewish folks would have said, you have to just bag the whole thing and give up on Jesus entirely. Um, And so Jesus says a couple of things. One, he says, look, if it happens to me, it's going to happen to you. That's his first point. If, if the master or the teacher is getting, is going to get fake charges and get killed and get tortured, then it's going to happen to you. The other thing though, he wants to say is that there's a bigger perspective. Um, you may die in your body, but you will not die in your soul. So make sure you don't think that this world is all there is. The next thing he wants to say is, if God cares about sparrows, mm-hmm. how much more does he care about you? So he wants everything to be rooted in, in kind of this eternal perspective and the love of God the Father for all of them. And says what he always says in verse 31, he says this over and over, do not be afraid. Uh, and but then it gets to the hard stuff. Uh, everyone who acknowledges me, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. And then he says that thing, which people who think Jesus is super nice, it's like off script, Jesus. He said, yeah, I've come to bring not peace, but a sword. And then he talks Do about your family. He says, peace. not yeah. not your family, Jake. This is not true in your family at all. But some people's families. Uh, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Um, there's a joke in there somewhere. No. But yes, uh, this is this is where Jesus um, gets tough. And he says that you have to take up your cross and follow me. Now, Jake, how are you going to preach that? How are you going to... Uh, yeah. where's the, where's the grace? Where's the hope? Where's the love? I'm not Show this, me the money. this particular week. I'll be, uh, I'll be preaching from chicken soup for the soul. And so <laughs> I'd I, like to read some quotes from Tuesdays with Maury. <laughs> hey, have you guys a, heard of this book called the secret yeah. this morning's sermon? I've decided to, we're just going to do read. yoga that day, this Sunday, we're going to have yoga. So, but no, um, the way I would preach this uh, particular passage is, is first of all, um, this, I mean, this is so jarring, even right now reading it in the midst of it. And uh, he says, do not think that I've come to bring peace. Well, you know, to quote, uh, you know, that, um, uh, you know, what you talking about, Jesus? You know, what do you mean you've come not to bring peace? I thought that's what you were all about. But the truth is, is that he's not come to bring peace on our terms, And uh, you look at like what's going on outside of my office right now. You look at what's going on all across this country and the rut we continue to be stuck in. Um, And this is because we are constantly looking for peace on our terms. We want it my way, to quote uh, Frank Sinatra. And and this is not how it's going to be. And uh, rather, uh, peace will be on Jesus's terms. And uh, that can bring about all sorts of issues uh, because it says you're not in control. And as a matter of fact, the more you take control, uh, a.k.a. Abraham, turning this back in, uh, you know, and, you know, it, it is a big mess. And yeah. we make messes when we take things on, in our control. The other thing so, is, is that this is, goes back to that concept of priorities. Like the peace, the peace that Jesus comes to bring means it's not like, you know, 
uh, Jesus, family, work, you know, or whatever those, those old priorities are. It's Jesus only. And that's the thing. And what this thing profoundly exposes on one level, the law doing its work, what it exposes is that um, uh, we haven't made Jesus the only thing. And that's what he requires. Yeah. And I think, so he, basically he's taught, this passage was written for people who would have been asked to abandon their faith in Jesus in order to get, to, to save their family, like keep peace mm-hmm. in their family or to keep peace in society. And, and so there's a reminder that you're loved, but there's also sort of a, you, a, a just a very clear statement in first century theological language that you can't have both things. You either have to be with Jesus or you, or you're with yourself. And, and Jesus is speaking very matter-of-factly that the result of that is a sword, both metaphorically and to some extent literally uh, for some people. Uh, and you see this in, um, I mean, you, you, you see this in the fact that the message Jesus brings, for example, which is that um, all people are valuable and uh, even those uh, who seem to be worthless and outcast like lepers and Samaritans and women and uh, all those people have value. Um, the centurion's servant, all those people have value. This is the idea that we see playing out on our streets now where people are trying to say everybody has value, including people that have been oppressed and uh, dehumanized for so long. And the result is a sword. The result is that people freak out. The Romans would have had no problem with the idea that some people are better than others. Even the nation and people of Israel definitely thought that their nation on some extent was better than the, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the all you know, all Perizzites, all those people. So this idea that everybody is equal in a, a child of God uh, or a creation of God in God's image um, this is an idea that brings a sword. This is an idea that many people find unacceptable. And, and so Jesus is just talking matter-of-factly about that. And he says, basically, um, you know, that's one of the ways this applies to our society today. Another way this applies to us today is, is you said, Jake, like you can have a system where you keep some element of control and Jesus is there to help you out a little bit. The other alternative is to Jesus, have Jesus do everything. And Jesus is making it just very clear that you can't do both things. Yeah. It's either Jesus fully or not at all. And the, and the final thing, I will let some grace in here at the end here. I'm going to bring the G-bomb in just a sec. All right. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll do a little a, a little teaser, which is to say, Jesus does say, you have to acknowledge me or I won't acknowledge you. And if you don't acknowledge me, I won't acknowledge you. That's, that, there's, that is the law, very high pitch. But you also have to keep this in context of how Jesus treats people like Peter who deny him. Because uh, Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. And what is, how does Jesus respond? <laughs> he responds by forgiving Peter and inviting him into ministry. So just yeah. know that the, the gracious one is still the gracious one. He is saying a true thing. Yeah. This is what the law demands. But just know that Jesus also fulfills the law on our behalf and continues to offer forgiveness. Well, that's, and that's exactly it. You know what I mean? Do not tell your people, like, so do you love Jesus? You better love him more. You better love him more. Do not end on that point. Um, begin with the fact that um, this, this is true, but it always begins with the cross first. His cross first, not yours. You know what I mean? And he is the one who was forsaken and separated from his father on your mm. behalf. 
He bore his cross so that you might bear yours. His cross is always first, and it's always Jesus first. Um, this is it. It was for, his sa- for our sake that Jesus was divided from his Father on his cross, which caused Jesus mm. to experience the God-forsakenness of our humanity, the darkness of God's wrath, the suffering of our sin. And Jesus took up his cross to lead humanity through death to life. And that's what St. Paul talks about there. It's the only way for a sinner to live before God, to have real peace with God, to die with Jesus, not simply to die. Everyone does that sooner or later, but to die with Jesus, to take up your cross and follow Jesus in the way he goes, namely through death to eternal life, where at the end of time we will hear him say, peace be with you. Mm. We're now in the midst of a whole lot of uh, unrest. It's got to be through the preacher's words. And so, you know, and so remember that it's Jesus first. Yep, that's right. And he says, you know, whoever loves all these other people more than me is not worthy of me. Well, yes. And that's why we always affirm the fact that no one is worthy of Jesus Mm. because we all mess this up. And that's why he ultimately is the one who bears his cross for us. Mm. Well, that's a good, uh, it's a good place to uh, end, I think. And uh, another great episode. So um, thanks for the shout out and love, everyone. I want to encourage you to go on Spotify or uh, Instagram or not Instagram, but well, Instagram too, but Spotify or um, um, iTunes and give us a shout out. Yep. And uh, this episode is dedicated to Alex Large, who sent Jake and me a very nice text today about how this, this podcast helps. So we love you, Alex, and all you other listeners as well. God bless you and uh, keep preaching that word. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.